Acts chapter 1, and we're going to continue the second part of the series of Vision All 2020, and we're reviewing the first church in the book of Acts. And I just love from time to time to go through the book of Acts, uh, highlight certain things. And you know, sometimes, we said this last week, sometimes when we talk about vision for the church, vision for Evergrace, uh, we want to talk about distinctives and DNA and what we do and uh, how Evergrace, what our core values are, and all of these slick, cool marketing words that somehow have found, found its way into the church. We use these marketing words in the secular society, and we use them in our, in our uh, logo, I mean, in our, um, in our talk as we are, um, as we're talking about the church. And as I was preparing, but my wife and I were in Hawaii, and, and um, her company sends us out there every year, and it's like a time for me to get alone with God and revisit some of my altars and just hear from God. And I was just kind of going over the vision for the church. We talked about it after service last Sunday. <clears throat> and I was thinking about what is God's heart. And I just began to write down like our distinctives, our vision, ever graces this, ever graces. And I just stopped. You ever do something and the Holy Spirit just checks you? You just got to check in your spirit and the Holy Spirit just like checks you. And I was like, wait a minute, let's look at the first church and let's derive our identity as a church from the first church. Instead of recreating an identity with slick words and slick lingo. And so I want to look here at the first church. We looked at it last week and we talked about the first church, what it made it great. What made the first church great was that they had a revelation of the passion of Christ. I talked about the Canos last Sunday. They weren't here, so we, we talked about them. If you don't show up to church, we're going to talk about you. <laughs> we're going to talk about good things. I just I was using Johnny as an example. Remember that? And I was, you know, when, and I just a quick review here. It talks about um, Luke. Doctor Luke is is writing the second treatise, the second book about his historical chronicle of the church, and he's writing it as he says, and all the things that Jesus did, and then his passion, and then his resurrection. And we talked about what is passion. Remember that. What do we say about passion? He said, in the world's view, passion is just this, you know, these pictures of, of just this, you know, this, this um, you know, this, this sensual thing going on. But you know, when it talks about passion in the New Testament, it's talking about, it's talking about suffering, suffering because of love. That's the passion in the Bible. You know, when you look at marriage, before you get married, before you have kids, right? And I'm sure the candles could testify this. I can testify it. Every one of us, any one of you in this room that's married can testify this. There are these concepts of what marriage is going to be like and what kids are going to be looking like. And and uh, there's this idea of compassion. And yet when, when you get married and you have a kid and you're doing like 400 hours a week, you know, working and you got 12 kids and you come home and, and there's, you know, just like your wife's just so tired she can't cook anything. She's tired. She's crashing on the couch. And you're just there, and, you, and you're just dying, and you're like, I love my family, I love my wife, I love my kid, I love my life with God, and I'm going to show up, I'm going to be a husband, and I'm just so tired. I don't know, if you're a new mom, you know what I'm talking about. You are so tired that you just, you're sitting in the church, you're sitting in the, in the seat of church, and you know two things. I'm breathing, and I believe in God. And that's all I'm aware of right now. <laughs> it's like, you know... And I remember when we first got Caleb, and we kind of cheated. We adopted a 10-month. We didn't go through all of, you know, what you guys go through as newborns. And, um, and you just have this feeling that any moment I'm going to literally pass out 
and I could wake up in an hour laying on the floor, and people would be praying for me because I'm so tired. And you know, we look at, and that's passion, that's passion. When you as a husband are in a, in a, in a fight for your marriage, and it's not going the way you thought it was gonna go, and you show up, and you lead your family in Christ, and you're laying down your life, that's passion. That's the biblical definition of passion. It means that, it means that like, you walk through those doors, you've had a rough week, and you're here, and you have like, your job is to, is to sweep the floors, okay? I don't know. You're dry mopping the floor, and you're just like, you're just dry mopping the floor, and just, I'm here by faith, I'm gonna claim. Why? Because this service is, is a time where we can prepare a place to meet Christ and hear his word, amen? You know, when the worship team is here practicing, why do they do that? What's the purpose of practice? To prepare a place for Christ to speak to his people. That's what it is. That's why we pray. So I want to look at, uh, that's what we kind of said a little bit last week about passion. And Luke, in, in Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke is continuing here his chronological um, picture of what a community of people look like when they've met a resurrected Savior. That's what the church is. When we look at the book of Acts, that's what we're reading. We're looking about a group of a ragtag group of spiritual refugees that are coming out of Judaism, legalism. Uh, they're coming out of 400 years of no conversation with God. God's not speaking to Israel. And now they are hearing from God and they are meeting together and they're on fire. And let's look at Acts chapter one. Before we read Acts chapter one, verses six, if you look at the end of the book of Luke, the way Luke finishes his book in, Acts, in Luke chapter 24, I'm gonna read this to you. You don't need to turn there unless you want to. Luke 24, I'm going to read a few verses to you, starting in verse 44. And this is the scene. Luke ends his gospel with this scene, and he picks up in Acts chapter 1 with the same exact scene. So let's look at Luke 24, and we're going to see some things here. And then he said to them, and Jesus is speaking, Luke 24, verses 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me. Now listen to this, okay? When we read scripture, let's not tune out, let's not lose our focus. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Don't you love that? When Christ opens your mind. We need that. You know, the Bible, I was talking to, who was I talking to? I was talking to Kyle this week. We were about, talking about like what the Bible is, a spiritual book. And we need Jesus to open our minds. You know, when we read the Bible, some people are like, oh, I can't understand all the these and thous and the genealogies. You know, before you open the book, it's a spiritual book, pray, and the Holy Spirit will open your mind. Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written. Now look, now look at what he writes here. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now there's a purpose clause coming up here, so follow this. It is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to who? All nations, right? Now, nations here is not just political nations where the borders are drawn, like, you know, the Texan and the Mexican border. It's not that. Nations here, we know in the Greek, is talking about ethnic groups, Hispanic, African-American, white, whatever you want to call it, Asian all nations, that we go into all nations. Are there a lot of nations in Houston? Yes, there are. There's Asians, there's everybody on the sun here. Actually, Houston now, and you may know this, we've we said it before, Houston is the top, most ethnically diverse city in the United States. And that's why Evergrace is here. That's why we're here. 
because we want to reach the world by reaching Houston. Amen. And so, and I'm getting way off topic here that we, his name would be proclaimed to all nations. His name would be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Listen to this. You, Jesus is pointing, he's speaking to his disciples, the ones that have just witnessed what he just did. And he rose from the dead. He said, you are witnesses of these things. He uses this Greek word that we get the word martyrs from. It means that you are a testifier to the point where it's going to probably cost you your reputation. It's going to probably cost you your, 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 it's going to cost you your, your money. It's going to cost you things. I know people overseas, maybe here too, but there are people that we know. I'm thinking of one family in Cyprus. It's a small island between Turkey and Israel. And they grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church. And this, this, uh, this couple, both of them were, were the eldest in their family. And when they made a decision for Christ and were baptized, their family said to them that you were no longer now the inheritors of the inheritance because you've left the faith. For them to make a decision for Christ, and this happens in Islam too, for them to make a decision for Christ and to, and to be baptized, to be physically baptized, was such an offense to the Greek Orthodox Church that they, were, they, they lost their inheritance. That was suffering for Christ's sake. That you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. This promise is, is, is a foreshadowing of Acts chapter 2. The word promise and the word witness are two words that we find in the Greek that are words that are legal talk. It's court talk. It's talk about... It's how words that you hear in the court process, that there is a witness and that there is a promise. There is something that is coming that is being promised of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed. I want to talk about that today, clothed. I think Billy already hit it. Where God said to Job, right? Dress yourself like, how did it go? Dress yourself like a man. Job, come on, man. Like, Like you're facing some issues, you're facing some hardship. Like, get your act together, uh, stop whining, and stop complaining, and stop, and stop living a natural perspective about your life, and about your family, and about your business, and about yourself. Stop getting projections, demonic thought processes about, about, about yourself and about God's plan in your life. Knock it off. Let the Holy Spirit saying, just knock it off. Stop it. And I think we need that sometimes. We need the Holy Spirit to, like... And I, I mean this in a sacred way, but just like to knock us off the side of the head and say, just stop living in a pity party. Knock it off. Just put your, clothe yourself like a man. Now, I mean, we, you know, we go through some hard times. I know Liz has lost a family member this week. I think it's this week. Like, we go through some hard times, and we need prayer. We need the body to rally around us. I'm not talking about that, but we need, we need to love on people. We need to call people. Up. By the way, when somebody passes, passes away, uh, the hardest time, a lot of times, is two months down the road. When the phone calls stop, texts stop, and, and people kind of forget what happened, and you're just by yourself. We need comfort. But at the same time, too, you know what encouragement means? It means, like, stop living in self-pity. And grieving is part of God's plan. We need to grieve. We, if we don't grieve properly, then it affects us the wrong way. We need to grieve. It's okay. God gives, gives that time, and we need to rally around people. And, but at the same time, too, it's like, I think that <clears throat> some of us, and maybe even in this room, 
when we have hard times, you know what we do? We withdraw. We just go camp out in, in our corner, in our house, or our man cave, or, or whatever we do for stimulation when we're, when we're living in, in just self, self-pity. And it says, it says here, Jesus is saying, I'm, uh, uh, I'm clothing you with power on high. Clothed with power. Think about that. I just studied these words in the Greek, and I just got so much awesome, new, fresh insight on what this word clothed means. You know that clothing here means, it means so much. Um, and then we read here in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through Acts chapter 2 through 41. You know how the Holy Spirit, there's this rushing sound. It's this thunderous sound. And the Holy Spirit is rushing in. And, why, and one commentator said it like this. That for the ages since the Holy Spirit, I mean since the Garden of Eden, get this, okay? Since the Garden of Eden, God could no longer dwell in flesh. And for, for eons and for millennia and for hundreds of years, God could not dwell in flesh because he so desired to be in his creation, to dwell in man. He desired God. It's, we get inklings of this, the way Jesus talks and the way the prophets talk, that how God desires to indwell us, to commune with you and God, to sup with us. He says this. In the Last Supper, one of my favorite, one of my favorite verses that you never hear it talked about in communion. I don't know why, but Jesus says it this way: "I have with great desiring desired to eat the supper with you." When you wake up in the morning and you're feeling guilty, or you're feeling weird, or you're feeling bad, or you're feeling whatever, disconnected, just remember that Jesus is saying with you, like, "I understand you're, ch- you're, you're, you're you know, you're not you're just off base." But I desire to suffer with you. I desire to suffer with you. And so in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit, when sin has been paid for in the flesh, okay, you getting this? When sin has been paid in the flesh, Romans chapter 8, and our sins have been, have been covered and have been, they were set, like as, as um, Jeff said earlier in, in Psalm 90 verse 8, a psalm that Moses wrote himself, he says that I have taken your iniquities, and I've taken, you know what iniquity is? It's, it's your thought life. It's your thought life. It's when you're emotionally rebelling against the plan of God. That's what iniquity is. It's what happens in our mind before sin follows. It's the thoughts. And it says that it, it, all of your inner thoughts in Psalm 90 verse 8 have, are before me in the light. But guess what? Guess what's, you know how I read that verse in Psalm 90 verse 8? When was that moment that all of our sin and all of our thoughts were in the light before God? I mean, it was always, but there was a culmination of that one point, and that was the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think Moses, in his mind, understood the Savior was coming. And he said in Psalm 90, verse 8, there's a moment coming when there's going to be this exposing of sin and this dealing and this judgment of sin. I know that people, when, they're, when we're struggling with sin and, and we just, we're losing the battle and we're living in a lie, and we're living in this lie. We're like, oh man, I'm going to get found out. And nobody's going to want to talk to me. I'm going to be unfriended by hundreds of people. And that fear comes, a fear of judgment. And guess what? That's already happened, guys. Yeah. Your sin has already been exposed. Your sin has already found you out. It has already been dealt with. And that is at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you have a past or a record or something that is in your past that you cringe when you talk about it or when you think about it and you don't want people to know about it, this is what you and I need to do with that. We need to bring it to the cross and not live in fear of that. 
and just not live in fear of that and glorify the cross. And so when you are clothed with power from on high, when you're clothed with power, the Holy Spirit rushes in in Acts chapter 2 and and, and the one commentator puts it this way. He says that God had been so desirous and so on the edge of just ready to go when, when, the, when sin has been paid for in the flesh. And that when the blood of Christ was applied to the throne of God and sin has been forgiven forever. At that moment in Romans chapter 8 verse 3, sin has been paid for in the flesh. Now God could legally be inside of flesh and blood again. And that's when the Holy Spirit came in and filled the church. Christ in the church. The Holy Spirit in the church. And how God desired this. Are, are you getting it? That I, need to, I think the Holy Spirit needs to reveal this to us. That God truly desires to be in us. Not just about us and use us like... And we're not fire hose Christianity. We're, we're, we're high pressure water is going through a hose. And the hose has no idea what's going on. And it's flipping around everywhere. That's not Christianity. We are co-laborers with Christ. The Holy Spirit in, in us is telling us the secrets of heaven. And we're hearing that. We're like, that's amazing, God. And how can I, this, this kid from Dover, New Hampshire, that just was going nowhere in my life. Boston, Massachusetts is going nowhere, going into the ground. And God speaks to us. He's some clothes, dude. You know, clothing in the Bible, the clothing in the Bible is, is amazing. And this is a purpose clause, and it says this, that, it says here, that Christ would be preached to all the nations. That's the purpose clause. God wants this communicated to our coworker. God wants this communicated to the, the Asian that lives next door, to the neighbor that drives us crazy, who has the dog barking nonstop at one o'clock in the morning. Yes, that happens in my neighborhood. God wants that God wants this God wants this communicated to the, the awkward relationship that we have in our family Christ being proclaimed and this is the purpose clause because when we look at clothing in the Bible when we clo- when we get looked when, when things are when we are clothed when we put on clothing it represents power it represents position and it represents privilege it's a covering we are covered Somebody's got our back. I was talking to recently to someone serving the Lord here. Last 13 years has been very difficult for him. And he's just got no, he's got no covering in his life. He's got no pastor to pour into him. But he does. I mean, he's got us. And he's, and he's really struggling. Can you imagine? I, I don't think I could pastor if I don't have someone in my life, and I do, pouring into me, speaking to me. But I can text and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this right now. Can you pray for me? If you don't have that in your life, then you don't understand the body of Christ. Pastors need pastors. Need pastors. We are clothed. And you know, when we are clothed with something, we, we hear this often in Hollywood at the red carpet events. Reporters often ask actors and actresses, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing, right? I'm wearing, what are some names out there? Prada, right? I don't know. What are some names out there that people are wearing? It's like at these Emmy Awards, everybody's looking at these... I, I never watch that. I just think it's just so ridiculous, personally. I mean, I don't know. These people are just whatever. But God loves them. And, but everybody wants to know what she's wearing for a dress. What's, the, what's he wearing? What's his, what are the shoes he's got? What's that watch he's wearing? Who are you wearing? And I think it's a good question for us as a believer. Who are you wearing? 
Am I wearing the old man that is just that is just susceptible to the lusts and the and the and the, the proclivity that just is a downward gravitational gravitational spiritual pull? Or are we wearing Christ? And so wearing what we are wearing is is so important. There's three things that God clothes you as a believer with. Three things, and now I'm going to close. Galatians chapter three, verses twenty six through twenty seven. Paul is speaking to the Galatians, and he's saying this. That you, are clothed, that you are clothed in Christ. Let's read it together. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Did you catch that? The connection between the word baptism and clothed. Never saw that before. Clothed, our clothing is a baptism. When the Bible talks about a baptism, a Holy Spirit baptism... Which we teach here is something that happens at the point of salvation. When you say yes to Christ, whenever that is in your life, there's a spiritual baptism in your life that you may not even feel. I didn't feel it. When I was nine years old, I had a very clear sense that I, I'm, I, need, to be, I need Christ. I need to be saved. And when that happened, that spiritual baptism happened to you positionally. There can be moments, though, in our life where, where we experience on a subjective, emotional level the truth of our salvation and that we are baptized into Christ. And that could look in a many, that could look in many different ways. I, I, I don't teach, we don't teach that there's a second blessing that we gotta wait for. Okay, now you're born again, now you gotta wait for that second blessing. Okay, wait, wait, wait. No, I think there's a lot of Christians waiting for things that have already happened. We have already, Acts chapter 2 has already happened in our life. We don't need to seek that. It's happening. It's in us. We are clothed with Acts chapter 2. That's us. Does that make sense? We're not looking for an experience. I think there are moments where we hear a truth and we're like, okay, God, I really would like to personalize that. I'd like to experience that in my life. And I remember one time as a Bible school student just hearing a lot of great information and Transforming truths, and I was like, God, I'd love to see this happen in my life. And I just prayed. I was like, Lord, just give me open my mind so that I can experience these things. And you know what? God did it. He gave me a personal inner experience of what these truths meant. And that's what we call the renewal of the mind. This is the renewal of the spirit of your mind. I want to look at. So that's the first thing: is that when we, we are clothed with Christ, and this is something that happened at the point of salvation. It's not something that happens and then we take off Christ and we put on the flesh and then we got to put off the flesh and put on Christ. This is something in the Greek it says that you that that when this happened, it was something that happened in the past and it has lasting of results. This is this is, and the second thing is this is Ephesians 4 verse 24. So we have been baptized into Christ. We have been baptized into Christ. You are in Christ and you have been clothed with Christ. And in Ephesians 4, verse 24, says this. It talks about transformation that results from our, new, from, our, from our new identity with Christ. Okay? And when it says put on the new self, put on the new self, this is in the Greek an aorist presence. I'm sorry, an aorist middle. What that means is, an aorist means this. And I'm not, I, I flunked grammar, but there's some great sources out there. An aorist in the Greek means it's something that happened in the past. That has lasting results. Something that happened in the past, and it's a it's a it's a it's a what we call in in you know Greek spiritual Greek interpretation is that it's a it's the finished work tense that Jesus did something in the past and it's changed your eternity forever. 
It's going to change your life forever. And that's what we need to do is grasp that truth of who we are in Christ. And Paul is saying to the church in Ephesians, he said, and in Acts 19, he's, I can see him teaching these truths in the school of Tyrannus, this crazy little place, and it was like a, a hole in the wall where the philosophers would teach, and he's preaching your new identity in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. So wear that. Don't wear the flesh. Don't wear anything else. And it says here in the that you have been that put on, and it's the heiress middle, it means that it's happened in the past. What's the middle voice? Middle voice means this. There's the passive, there's the active, and there's the middle. How many uh, English uh, grammar nerds? Oh, Amber back there is waving her hand. She's listening carefully. What's the middle tense mean? Okay, I'm probably going to get it wrong, guys, so give me grace. Oh, thumbs up, right. Middle means this. It means that I am a participant in the activity. It means that somebody's initiating and I'm responding. Does that make sense? It means that God has initiated something, middle tense, I'm probably messing it up, right? Looking, Liz is like, I don't know. I hope I got, I hope I'm getting this right. I get, you can rebuke me afterwards. It means there's a participation. It means that there's this, I'm in the middle. There's, there's, there's action and then there's result and I'm participating in it. I hope that, hope that makes sense. It means that God has created a new identity for you and me in Christ. 2,000 years ago, or whatever that's, 2,200 years ago, and that has lasting effect, and that's who I am in Christ. Before you and I had a history of sin, we had a history with God and the sovereignty, and, and I love this about the, the predestination of, of Christ, and we're in Christ, that we have a, you have a history with God before you have a history of addiction. Amen? Somebody say amen, my gosh. It's like, like, this is great stuff. I'm like, I love this, man. I could just run around in the parking lot and just, just... And I haven't even had enough caffeine this morning to do that. Put on the new self. That means this. How do we put on the new self? Okay, I, I got the new self on me. It's already on me. How do I experience this? Well, we've got to look at verse 23. He, he, Ephesians 4, verse 23. And it says this. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Do you know that there's a spirit in your mind? We think of the mind as like this intellectual f- facility that's just kind of grinding out the, the logic of things, you know, knowledge. And, you know, it's just... Criteria of information. No, there's a spirit in there, and when there's a when there's a when there's a mind that's on fire, and I don't remember who said that. One of the Greek philosophers said that we teach to set people's minds on fire. That's what the church is all about. We are teaching. We are addressing your 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 mind with the spirit in it. And if we can get renewed in the spirit of our mind, then our thinking is no longer going to be down in the dust, and it's not going to be like it's not going to be earthy and and gross. When we are renewed in the spirit of our mind, then we understand who we are in Christ. That's what church is. That's what church is. House church, Saturday afternoon, out, morning outreaches, wherever we are. That's what Sunday morning is. Whenever we meet together, we want to be renewed in the spirit of mind of who we are in Christ. This in the Greek, when it says be renewed in the spirit of your mind, is a different, it's a different grammar structure. And it says it's the present tense, and it's a passive voice. Passive. I love passive voice when you're reading commands. It means that present means continuous, present continuous. At this moment, your presence, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And the, and the passive voice means that you are surrendering to the action of something else or someone else. When you're down in the dumps with your mind, and we get that, and Monday morning comes around, and you're just worried about the week or you're stressing out or you're looping about something and you're anxious 
And you're like, God, I can't get my mind out of the gutter. I can't get my mind, I can't get my, I can't get my mind in gear. That's okay, because Ephesians 4, verse 23 in the Greek is written that we in the present tense can be received the action of the initiations of the Holy Spirit saying to you, be ye quickened in the spirit of your mind. I love you. I was talking to, is it Colton this week? We're just talking, we need to go over, and he was sharing this with me, we need to go over like who we are in Christ. We need to have it written down. We need to go over this truth. We need to look at it. We need to refer to it. It needs to be a point of reference in our mind who we are in Christ. And when we start to, when we start to digest Jesus loves me, Jesus died for me, and we start to digest finished work, truth, gospel truth, you know what happens? We receive the action of God loving on us, and we realize God loves me, and I'm sacred to God. You know, grace is so sacred. I'll tell you what I mean by that. When you look at somebody's life, and you know their history, you know something about their path, and you look at them, and you see the grace of God in their life, I don't know what it does and how that all works, but there's something sacred about that person because they're no longer that person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I look at Aaron, and I say, Aaron's a sacred guy. Aaron is sacred. He's a sacred man. He's, he is a new creation in Christ. He's not what he used to be. He's not what he was 15 minutes ago. He's a new creation in Christ. Amen? And after church, we're going to we're gonna have a spiritual pig pile on, on Aaron. We're just going to love on him. We're going to encourage him. We're going to let him out the door until he believes that. All right? We are in new creation. And this is what we need to be renewed in. And that's what we're clothed in. So when, when the Bible says put on the new man, it, it's not like, okay, now I was on the old man. Now I'm going to put on the new man. No. Be renewed in the spirit of, of your mind about who you are already. And that's the, that's the work of the church. It's the work of house church. It's the work of outreach. It's the work of... Any kind of visitation of ministry in the church is that I'm communicating to you or you're communicating to your wife or your wife to you who you are in Christ. Okay, we get it? This is so important. Sorry, I'm making such a big deal about it. Because we miss the message. It's all about identity. It's about identity. Put on Christ. And when we put on Christ, in Romans 13, verse 14, I'm not going to get into the Greek structure here. I'm not a Greek scholar. But the Greek structure here says in Romans 13, verse 14, because when we're functioning in who we are in Christ, we're not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. We're not making a place for the flesh. Ephesians 4, verse 27, I think it says, make no place for the flesh. Making a place for the flesh means I'm tolerating something in my life that I think I can control, but I know it's going to take me over. That's why there's certain things that we just can't have in our house. There's certain places that we can't go. There's certain things that we can't just interact with, and that's good. If, if there's something in my life, whatever it is, and I'm drawing a place for it and say, you know what? Hey, you, that idol, you stay there and you can't come out. You got to stay there and I'll come to you when I want to interact with you. And I'm going to do my thing over here. That doesn't work. You can't put, you can't keep something, you can't keep an idol in a box because the idol is going to come out. It wants you. It's going to come after you because it's not just a thing and it's not just a chemical, but it really is it really is something spiritual because behind every idol there's a demon in the, in the Bible. And that demon wants to influence people. It wants to control people. And, it want, and, and Satan does not want you to discover who you are in Christ. That is the main campaign. Satan wants to do two things. Smear the character of God in your eyes. So you're walking around like, oh, God doesn't love me. The church doesn't love me. People don't love me. That's just demonic thinking. Don't think that way. And then the second thing that Satan wants to do is that you would never discover who you are in Christ. Lastly, 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. But before we hit that, I want to just... If I think something and I don't deal with that thought, I'm making a place for the devil in my mind. Okay? I just, I'll tell you what I mean. You know what projections mean? We teach projections that... John chapter 8, verse 44, I think it's there, that it says that Satan is the father of all lies, right? It means a murderer. Okay. You get that verse right? He creates a lie in his mind, and then he threw the air in Ephesians 2, verse 2, he projects it at you. About your husband, about your mother, about your wife, about your kids, about your pastor, about other people in the church. He will do that. Why? Because this is the first step of division. Of division. So if the devil creates something in his mind and he projects it to you through the whole world of frequencies and vibrations and he hits you and there's a part of your brain called the hypothalamus and it hits that and you feel this vibration like, whoa, what is that vibration? Like, oh, I don't even know what that is. It's the, and I don't want to get spooky here, but the devil focuses, he works on Ephesians 2 verse 2 in the air. That's where he's working. He's working in the air. He's working in the air. That's why when we praise and we worship and we speak the word of God by faith, it's going into the air and it's defeating strongholds. Amen? That's why our confession can't be old flesh. It can't be reinforcing people's flesh. Right? Amen, maybe. We're reinforcing that Aaron's an awesome man of God. God's a plan for I can't wait to see what God does with Aaron's life. Man, this is unbelievable. So... Ephesians verse 2, verse 2, it says the devil will project something to you. And he'll try to make you believe something. And guess what we do? This is what we do. Okay? We just, we don't even, we don't discern it. We don't discern it. We just don't, we're just like, oh, okay. I don't think that that guy likes me. Or, I don't think this. Or, you know, the way they reacted or the way this kind of brushed me off. Or whatever. I mean, you, I don't know. You guys know what it is. A projection comes and we have to discern what we're thinking. Okay? This is the practical point here in the message. We need to live in discernment about what we're thinking. When, when, the, when negativity comes into your soul, learn how to discern negativity in your soul. Discern it. Because when negativity, when it comes into my soul, you know what, what happens to me? I get anxious. I get anxious or depressed or whatever. Whatever my, my, my personality type is. And if I don't, and, and there's a moment, and many times we don't catch it because it just comes in and it's in the, it comes in the back door. It's like a virus or something, you know, malware. It comes in the back door, you don't even know it's there, and you start getting these weird pop-ups on the browser. You know, that's what I got to deal with at work. And this is what the devil does. It just tries to get in through some demonic malware into your operating system, and just you start it's just like broadcasting these weird advertisements, and it's like, where did that come from? Well, when you start discerning negativity, fear, doubts, guilt in your soul, or anxiety, or just bad memories, just remember this. Just go to your and say, okay, God, something's off in my soul. You ever do this before? You're in your car, you're, you're talking to your wife, or husband, or just by yourself. You feel like something's off. You just get, get alone. Get, get alone with God. Get on your knees. Open your Bible. Don't live in condemnation. Because the devil wants to put something in your head, and then he wants to condemn you about it. Isn't that sick? I can't wait to boot him into hell. And it's like, you know, like, these first Corinthians chapter 6, right? We judge angels, right? I just hope that, I just hope God allows the church to do a collective boot of the enemy of Satan into the fires of hell. I just want to see him go down, 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 and just, okay, and praise the Lord. Enjoy heaven after that. But the devil will just project something at you, and then he's going to say, you thought that thought? 
and shame on you and guilt and then and, and we don't even discern it and we're living in Romans 8 1 we're living in condemnation and let me just go down this dark hole of whatever that is on the bottom of our dark holes and that's flesh that's no longer who we are anymore in Christ and so just guard your mind it says it's just taking every thought captive if you don't know how to do that and guess what we can't do that the word has to do that the Bible has to do that that's why the devil wants to get people away from the Bible in your life. Don't talk about the Bible. Don't talk about the Word. Because if we have the Word in our mind, then there's light. I think the biggest, I think the biggest way to deal with the devil and to deal with, to deal with dark crookedness is just to bring it to light. 99.9% of the time, you bring something to the light, you just make people aware of it. It's in the light. Hey, this dealt with, right? Let's just let's not allow let's not give place for the devil. If you're having a projection about somebody, say you know something, and just counteract it with the thoughts of God about it. Because it's gonna come. It's gonna come. It's gonna come and, and don't live in condemnation. Cast it down, because it exalts itself against the knowledge of the where of the presence of God in your life. And lastly, the third thing that we're clothed with is in 1 Corinthians 15, verse, verse 53. And this is just a beautiful thought to think about this is that when we die and we are resurrected at the end of time, we stand before God, our bodies will be transformed into something that is just so unbelievable. And, and I think if you ever want to read something really cool about your future, what your glorified body is going to look like. Okay, we get an inkling of this, how this is. Jesus is resurrected. He comes and meets his disciples. He says, peace be unto you. And they're like, they, they think they're seeing a ghost. And they're like, they're doubting. And it says but that they were doubting for the joy. They said, this is so great. This is so awesome. But it can't be. Something bad's going to happen. And we do that. And Jesus says, hey, give me something to eat. What does he do? He eats. He's eating broiled fish. Okay? I mean, he's eating fish. Okay, glorified body, resurrected Christ. He's eating fish. We will be able to eat. We will be able to enjoy ourselves. But we won't need to eat to survive. Okay? We'll be able to, I, and this is what the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be so awesome about. Now, these are just my speculations. This is not, I'm not saying, let's say it the Lord. But I think that we're going to be, during the millennium, with a thousand-year reign of Christ, when finally politics is God-centered, Christ-centered, and not personality-centered, and, and, we, and, we, and we're going to be able to enjoy the world that God created, our senses will be enjoyed, and we won't be, we won't, we won't die if we don't enjoy it. Does that make sense? We'll be able to eat, and we'll be able to enjoy ourselves. Our physical body will be, and it says here in verse 53, this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Romans chapter 8 says, don't we groan to that's going to happen? You ever wake up in the morning, and you're groaning because you're sore or whatever? I don't know. You want to play with your son, and you're just kind of trying to get, you know, I spend most of my day on my floor now with my son, and you're like, oh, you know, and now my son does that. Every time he sits down, he goes, ah. It's like, it's like, where do you get that from? Your son, my son is just like copying me, so. And by the way, thanks to the Johnson family for getting hooked on Mr. Blippi. It's just, he wakes up in the morning, Blippi, B-L-I-P-P-I. It's just like crazy. He's out of his mind. Mr. Blippi, what a nerd he is. But he loves my, he, he's, my son loves him. And so I just want to close with this. The first church was clothed with power and ability. When we look at that word power, and let's not get distracted by, by emphasis and, and one-dimensional Christianity. 
When we talk about clothes and power, power here means ability. It means ability. It means, and we're endued. And that word enduo in the Greek means to be clothed. We are clothed. We walk in wearing spiritual product or whatever their brand is. We walk into the room. We have this cologne that every demon can smell within miles. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are clothed with Christ. And when we approach a situation, don't say, I can't do this. Don't say, I can't do this. Step up. And God gave me four words, three words for 2020 for my personal life. Pursue, possess, and prosper. And before you think I'm going to be preaching prosperity message, I'm not doing that. I'm saying pursue the call of God, okay? I know Jeff really wanted to hear that today. Pursue God. Pursue God. Number two, possess. You know, if I'm a dad or a husband or a business owner, let's possess what God's given us. Let's just possess that. And let's just go after it. And then number three, prosper. It's like, God, just prosper my family. Prosper my business because I have kingdom values and kingdom priorities. I want to prosper and I want to be fruitful, bear fruit. Amen. So let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have been endued with power from on high. Lord, that we have been given thoughts that are not thoughts that come from below, that are earthly, sensual, and devilish, but they are thoughts that are first pure. They are peaceable. They are righteous. They are virtuous. They are peaceable. Lord, we thank you that you have put a new spirit in us and that the old self has no place any longer, that we are no longer what we used to be. Lord, we are living in the presence uh, renewal of the spirit of our minds, God. We thank you for that renewal. Thank you for the renewal this morning in our midst. Thank you, God, for this year, that what you're going to do in our churches, in our families, Lord, in our businesses, in our personal lives, Lord. We just want to pray, God, for special comfort for uh, Liz's family, Lord, and that, that you would just love on them. And it's just been kind of a rough year for them, just um, with illness and unexpected things happening. Pray for them today, Lord, and we just love you, God. And let's just all stand together and worship the Lord as we close.